with love from me to you, this is the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. So, yeah, it's about that time again. Time for another rousing edition of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. Episode uh, 4, is it now? Yeah, hey. Hey, Janet or Sean, somebody Sean, whatever Sean, I don't know, but thank you for listening nonetheless. And um, I want to take care of first things first. Um, I owe a major hearty congratulations to a good friend of the podcast. Congratulations to Phil, the No Swear Gamer, and Phil's family on the birth of Navina Hope. By the time you hear this, um, Navina is two days old. Congratulations. God bless you, Phil and your family on this wonderful occasion. And, uh, I saw a picture of this child. Oh my God. She is such a cute little thing. Oh my God. I also want to reiterate a congratulations to Mark Fiorio, the first ever winner of a contest on the Atari 7800 homebrew podcast. Mark has won a Seagull 78 adapter from Ed Ladin. And major thank you to Ed Kelly of Ed Ladin for providing said prize. And uh, there will be future giveaways on this podcast. I already have a prize in my possession for the next one, but I will announce that when the time comes. The time, unfortunately, is not now. Well, I guess technically now is a time. Yeah, let's let's not get too deep into this, shall we? I don't know. This is the this is the hardest part of the show because it's unscripted, and I never quite know exactly what to say that might be. Uh, I don't know. Maybe too much TMI. Too much TMI. That's kind of redundant, isn't it? Sorry about that. But one thing I can tell you is I did recently get a Mateos sixteen in one rewritable cart for the Atari seventy eight hundred. I've yet to successfully get it working. You know, there's uh, because I'm a Mac user. There's a certain process that I have to do that's uh, not really working out very well so far. Uh, but so far, I can, from what I can tell, the support for it is pretty amazing. You don't get much documentation with it, but there's a lot of user support. And Juan, who makes the Mateos cart, is extremely responsive and helpful. So uh, I will keep you all updated on my progress. But what it is, it's a cartridge that it's just a bare board that you stick in your 7800 and you play off the board and you have to buy a burner with it it's just a little thing you stick on the cartridge and it has a usb port on it and you essentially drag and drop roms to the board and on the board there's a little uh potentiometer selector that lets you switch among the 16 different roms that you stick on the cart and uh, for testing purposes, it does come with ROMs already written to the cart, like 14PAL to NTSC. The NTSC ones, those are the ones that uh, we here in North America can use. It comes with, uh, Ace, at least mine came with Ace of Aces and I think Choplifter was the other one. Yeah. And there's also a slot on the board where you can put a pokey on there. And I'm assuming that when the Hokey is available, it might also be compatible with that as well. The catch, of course, is that you have to provide the Pokey. You have to either 
you have to cannibalize a ball blazer cartridge or a commando cartridge if you have that much money to throw away <laughs> or perhaps rip a pokey from a 5200 or an arcade machine or something. Just out of curiosity, I checked the price of ball blazer cartridges and on eBay, the prices have skyrocketed to three freaking digits. I don't know if that's getawayable, but it's almost making me wish that I hadn't sold off my spare ball blazer that I had a few months ago for what, I think 10 bucks maybe, <laughs> which as far as I'm concerned, that's uh, it's how much it's worth personally. <laughs> but, uh, and this is the crazy thing. Supposedly the maroon end label version of ball blazer is the rarer of the two different releases. There was one with a silver label. I have only ever seen a maroon end label version. Any video game store I've been to that had 7,800 stuff, they always had the maroon end label version. The one that came with my 7,800 that I bought uh, 10 years ago came with the maroon end label. The extra one that I got when I upgraded my loose ball blazer to a CIB ball blazer was a maroon end label. I've never seen a silver end label. I've only seen pictures of it as proof that they exist. So yeah, anyway, that's uh, that's my deal lately. And so having said all that, I might as well just get uh, right into the show, shan't I? Berserk and Frenzy were arcade games made by Stern Electronics. And I want to get into a little bit of history about Stern. Stern had started out as a pinball company based out of Chicago. Stern's roots came from a company called Chicago Coin, also known as Chicago Coin Machine Manufacturing Company, also known as Chicago Coin Machine Division of Chicago Dynamic Industries, which was their full name. And that company was founded in 1931 by Sam Gensberg, Lou Corin, and Sam Wolberg. Now, what's interesting is that Sam Gensberg had previously founded Genco with his brothers David Lewis and Meyer. Genco was a pinball company that would later be a rival to Chicago Coin. In 1959, those two companies merged. Now, besides pinball machines, Chicago Coin would release other arcade games of the time, such as ball bowlers, which were basically those like, like if you've ever seen one of those uh, electromechanical bowling machines where you slide a puck down a table and little plastic bowling pins kind of flip up. That's basically what those things are. They also did shuffleboard tables, ski ball games, and electromechanical car driving games. Now, Chicago Coins' first venture into video games happened in 1973 when they released TV football and TV hockey. Obviously, they were trying to ride the coattails of Pong. In 1975, Chicago Coin wanted to merge its pinball history into the new video game craze, so they came out with a video game cabinet called Super Flipper, which was a pinball simulation. The monitor was inside a pinball-style cabinet, so that way you'd get the feel of playing pinball. Alas, that wasn't enough to keep the company afloat. Chicago Coin was... Going through some financial difficulties, so Gary Stern and his family bought Chicago Coin in 1977 when Chicago Coin was going through a bankruptcy sale. Gary bought Chicago Coin, turned it into Stern Electronics. At first, Stern was just issuing rebranded version of Chicago Coin's latest pinball games, and the next year, Stern went 100% solid state. So, no more electromechanical pinball, it was all digital. 
No moving parts. Well, no moving parts except, of course, flippers and pinballs and things. But the actual behind-the-scenes stuff was solid state, we should say. Um, 1979, Stern buys out Seberg Corporation. Seberg, which was a jukebox manufacturer. And then Stern changed its name to Stern slash Seberg. In fact, there are some Stern arcade games where on the marquee it actually does have the Seberg name on it. Um, For example, Rescue comes to mind. I I believe that's one of the games that has that. Oh, and here's a fun fact for you. Seberg once owned Williams, another famous video game company, and they also started out by making pinball machines and other electromechanical things. And another fun fact for you, Sam Stern, who was Gary Stern's father, was the president and part owner of Williams at that time. But anyway, Stern's breakout hit, of course, was Berserk. Well, breakout lowercase letters, of course, uh, the... Uh, uppercase would be one of Atari's breakout hits, but anyway, uh, other than that, uh, Stern was famous for Frenzy, duh, Amidar, Puyan, and the Laserdisc game Cliffhanger, and there were also a bunch of Konami titles that Stern released under license. Um, I think Scramble and Super Cobra, if I'm not mistaken, and I believe, uh, was, was Bagman a Konami title? That was Actually, it was done by a French company, but anyway, you get the point. So Stern put out a lot of games of their own and a lot of other people's games under license. So anyway... What happened in 1983? Well, of course, there was the North American video game crash, and unfortunately, Stern was among the many victims. So, Stern pulled out of the industry in 1985, and some of the people who formerly were employed by Stern formed a company called Pinstar Inc., and their specialty was producing conversion kits for games made by Stern and Bally Midway, and that company didn't last very long. In 1986, Gary Stern starts to run Sega's pinball division, and in 1994, that pinball division was sold to Data East. In 1999, Gary Stern bought out Data East's pinball division, and he formed Stern Pinball Inc. in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, not too far from O'Hare Airport. And to this day, Stern Pinball is still cranking out the machines. In fact, one of their more recent machines is a Ghostbusters pinball machine that came out just last year. Um, I'm not a huge pinball fan, but I've played that Ghostbusters machine. It is really awesome. Highly recommend checking it out. Uh, Those of you who are in the Chicago area, Underground Retrocade has it. That's my home arcade as far as I'm concerned. Across the street from Galloping Ghost in Brookfield, Illinois, there's a bar called Brixie's. They also have it there. If you go to Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, and click on browse games and look up the Ghostbusters pinball machine. You'll see several locations across the United States that have it. But um, anyway, if you happen to be in the Chicago area at any time, whether you live there or you happen to be visiting there and you wish to seek out where these places were or are, as the case may be, Chicago Coins' last corporate address was 1725 West Diversity Parkway in the city of Chicago. This is also the address that Stern listed in its video game manuals, by the way. It's actually down the street from where I worked when I moved to Chicago 10 years ago. Um, I've been by there, and I'll tell you what's there now. Just a bunch of apartment buildings. And surprise, surprise, across the street, there's a Starbucks. Gee, who'd have thunk? Stern Pinball is currently located at 2001 West Lunt in Elk Grove Village. It's in one of those places that's full of industrial parks and stuff. Let's talk about the game Berserk. 
Berserk is one of those games that, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, an explanation would most likely be insulting to your intelligence. But in case there's somebody near you within earshot of the podcast and isn't familiar with these games, well, here's something for the benefit of that person so you two can have something to talk about afterwards. In Berserk, you control a stick figure humanoid who is running through a series of rooms that have up to 11 robots. Your goal? Simply make it out of the room alive. If a robot touches you or shoots you, you die. If you touch a wall in a room, you die. An indestructible bouncing smiley face named Evil Otto might appear and chase you. If Evil Otto touches you, you die. If you shoot a robot, the robot explodes into a cloud of dust. And if you make contact with that cloud of shrapnel, you die. You do have various methods of defense, though. You can shoot the robots with your laser gun in eight possible directions, but of course they can shoot you in eight possible directions. You can make robots accidentally shoot each other. Robots can be destroyed by another destroyed robot's shrapnel. You can lure a robot into an electrified wall, or you can lure Evil Otto into destroying robots. And in fact, due to the way some of the room's walls are auto-generated, you might have a robot completely enclosed within a box, and the only way to destroy that robot is to make Evil Otto destroy that robot. Another defense you have is because of the odd way your stick figure humanoid is designed, there's a small gap between the humanoid's neck and torso. So if a bullet goes into that gap, it'll safely pass right through the humanoid, and the humanoid will be unharmed. The scoring works as such. See, I didn't say uh, in terms of scoring this time, but it's very simple. You get 50 points for each destroyed robot, no matter how the robot is destroyed or who destroys the robot. If all the robots in the room are destroyed, you get a bonus of 10 points per robot. You get an extra life at 5,000 points and or 10,000 points, depending on how the settings are configured. There were actually two versions of Berserk released to arcades. The original version came out November 12, 1980, and it is quite frequently referred to as the Slow Bullets version, referring to the speed of the bullets that the robots fire at you. Although, I think they use laser guns. Are they technically considered bullets? I don't know. We'll call them bullets. So, obviously, the revision that came out later is known as the Fast Bullets version, and it's actually the more common variation. The two versions don't differ in just bullet speed, however. The Slow Bullets version has three different colors of robots. You got Dark Yellow Robots, Red Robots, and Dark Cyan Robots. The Dark Yellow Robots, which are the first ones you see, they don't actually shoot at you. Red robots are going to show up after you reach 500 points, and what they can do is shoot at you one bullet at a time. The Dark Cyan robots show up just after you score 1,500 points, and they can shoot two bullets at a time. And I mentioned Evil Otto just a minute ago. Now, what Evil Otto does is he bounces toward you slowly if there are any robots on the screen, and then he speeds up. He doubles his speed if all the robots in the room are destroyed. 
Now, at first, his fastest pace is the same as yours. So as long as you move horizontally, or at least diagonally horizontally, if you will, you can easily escape. Uh, if you're moving vertically, though, because of the way that uh, Evil Otto bounces around, he can easily catch up to you. So make sure that you're running some way to the left or to the right somehow. In the Slow Bullets version, though, Evil Otto's speed actually doubles after you reach 5,000 points, meaning that when all the robots in the room are gone, he can easily catch you if you don't escape soon. In the Fast Bullets version, the robots are more of a challenge, so to balance out that challenge, what happens is Evil Otto's two speeds stay the same throughout the game, but you have more threatening robots to deal with. So uh, what happens is after you score 3,000 points, you get some green robots and they can fire up to three shots at once. After you get 4,500 points, you got some dark purple robots and they can shoot up to four bullets at once. Then you have light yellow robots and they can actually shoot up to five bullets at once. And uh, you'll start seeing them around 6,000 points. When you get to 7,500 points, you're going to see white robots. They only fire one bullet at a time, but they are fast bullets, hence the term fast bullets. After you reach 10,000 points, you're going to see some dark cyan robots again, but this time they can fire two fast bullets at once. After 11,000 points, you get light purple robots, and they shoot up to three fast bullets. After you reach 13,000 points, you get gray robots, and they can fire up to four fast bullets at once. And then you see the dark yellow robots again at 15,000 points, but unlike the previous time you saw them, they are actually going to shoot at you up to five fast bullets at once, as do the next batch of red robots that show up after 17,000 points and light cyan robots when you reach 19,000 points. Full disclosure here, um, I've never actually seen those uh, fast bullet robots because, well, I'm not very good at this game, so I, I don't really know what I'm missing. But, of course, the biggest attraction to Berserk, undoubtedly, it's got to be the speech synthesis. Now, it wasn't the first arcade game that would actually talk. That was Stratavox by Sun Electronics, which came out earlier in that year but Berserk was easily the more popular of the two. During the attract screens, the machine will say coin detected in pocket. Coin detected in pocket. During various points in the game, robots are going to talk to each other. They're going to say things like, Target. or Target. When Evil Auto appears, you're going to hear that infamous Intruder alert, Intruder alert. If you escape the room after all the robots are gone, you're going to hear if you escape a room that has at least one robot still left, you hear if you lose a life, you hear Berserk had some home video game releases, specifically on the Atari 2600, Atari 5200, and Vectrex. The Atari 5200 had some of the voice synthesis, but there was a lot of back-and-forth communications between the robots that they took out, quite simply because the way that the programming works on the 5200 version of it, the gameplay actually has to come to a temporary halt when the voice synthesis kicks in, so they want to minimize that as much as they can. There's at least one hacked version of the Atari 2600 version that has the voice synthesis in it, 
There was also a board game released by Milton Bradley. Those of you old enough to remember, you undoubtedly remember that there were several video game board games. Uh, there was uh, Pac-Man, and for some reason, Ms. Pac-Man, too. Why didn't they just package them in the same box? I don't know. There was also Frogger, I remember I had. There was Donkey Kong, and there was also Berserk, and uh, I had that as well. And I can tell you from memory, the Berserk board game really wasn't all that much fun. And of course, it would be very wrong for me to not acknowledge the Buckner and Garcia Pac-Man Fever album, as it includes a song called Going Berserk. I really feel that any discussion of Berserk, you really need to talk about some history behind it. And there is a lot of information out there available on how Berserk came to be. So I'll do the best that I can at synthesizing what's out there. There's going to be a lot of details left out because, hey, I don't want this to turn into an eight-hour podcast. Because, quite frankly, I don't want to edit the freaking thing. But anyway, Berserk was designed by Alan McNeil of Universal Research Laboratories, which was a division of Stern Electronics. And one night he had a dream that involved a black and white video game in which there was a stick figure dealing with robots surrounding him. McNeil turned his dream, combined with a game he wrote in BASIC that he simply called Robots after he read an article in Byte magazine, he turned that inspiration into the game that we all know and likely love. And he was inspired to name it Berserk from the title of a series of sci-fi novels called Berserker by Fred Saberhagen. In those Berserker novels, what the Berserkers were, they were weapons of uh, different sizes, different shapes. They were once used by two groups of extraterrestrials who were at war with each other. And they had bases that could manufacture more Berserkers. Now, keep that last part in mind for later. The robots in Berserk have these kind of sort of, they have eyes that constantly rotate, just giant wide eyes that keep spinning around. And uh, Alan McNeil said that those shifting eyes were based on the eyes of the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica. I'm going to have to take his word for that because I've never seen Battlestar Galactica. I have no interest in seeing Battlestar Galactica. I'm not a sci-fi guy, but hey, that's neither here nor there. What is here and there is the rooms. They have maze-like layouts because Alan McNeil felt that the robots in his original drafts were moving too fast without those walls. So he tried slowing them down, but he didn't like how the animated legs looked like when the robots started slowing down. So basically, his solution was to put up walls in the rooms to make the robots have to stop or change direction or, as is the case sometimes, walk right into those walls and disintegrate. As for Evil Otto, well, his design was based on the infamous ubiquitous have a nice day smiles that were all over back in the 70s. I remember those things. I was just a little kid in the 70s, but I remember those things well. But uh, Alan McNeil, he hated those suckers with a passion. So he felt that using a giant smile that was coming out to get you, to destroy you, would be a great way to turn that big smiley thing into sarcasm. Uh, Alan McNeil always had a reputation for being sarcastic, and he felt this was the ultimate way to express what his reputation gave him. The name Evil Otto comes from a guy named Dave Otto, who was a rather dictatorial security manager at David Nutting Associates, where McNeil had previously worked. A few minutes ago, I mentioned that there are two different versions of Berserk, the slow bullets and fast bullets version. 
Now, according to Alan McNeil, that second version came out because Stern wanted to release a two-player cocktail table version of Berserk. And to accommodate that, there had to be a lot of various changes made to the code. Long story short, the code revisions involved a lot of text shortening, like instead of the word copyright, it would be shortened to left paren C, right paren. Um, there were other changes made along the way, and basically it kind of it kind of sort of evolved into the fast bullets version and the, with the new robots and everything. And of course, got to talk about that speech synthesis again probably the most memorable thing about Berserk. I want to argue that without the speech synthesis, Berserk would not have been as popular as it actually was. Now, how did they add the speech synthesis? Why did they add it? Well, there was a vendor that stopped over at Stern's offices, and this salesman was trying to sell a speech chip that was originally designed to help the blind. But this salesman was saying that, you know what, we hope that we could possibly use this chip in toys and games as well. So basically Stern listened to the sales pitch and, and, and they bought it. They bought it. It was pretty expensive, about a thousand dollars per word, but Stern didn't care. They figured, Hey, it might be worth the investment. So Berserk was fitted with a 30 word vocabulary. Berserk cabinets that were made for overseas also had versions that were in French, in German, in Spanish. So that's just a brief history behind Berserk. From what I gather, Alan McNeil currently does a lot of work in web development, specifically with uh, Ruby on Rails and Angular. And uh, he's also worked with various types of networking hardware over the years. You can go online. In fact, I'll put a link in the show notes to his personal website. You can actually see his resume there. Of course, any discussion of Berserk would be totally, totally lacking if we didn't talk about the legendary deadliness of playing the game. Let me take you back to April 3rd, 1982, specifically to 674 River Oaks Drive in Calumet City, Illinois, Located there is a strip mall called Sherwood Plaza, and within Sherwood Plaza is an arcade called Friar Tuck's Game Room. See what they did there? Or should I say was Friar Tuck's Game Room? It's no longer there. It was there for a surprisingly long time, actually. But on April 3rd, 1982, there was an 18-year-old named Peter Bukowski of South Holland, Illinois. He's hanging out with his girlfriend for a while, and then he uh, meets up with a buddy, and the two of them go to Friar Tuck's game room at about 8 p.m., and the buddy's name is Ben Everett. Now, according to Everett, Peter Bukowski had been complaining about being thirsty and being short of breath, so on the way to Friar Tuck's, they stopped at a convenience store, and uh, Bukowski bought a soda, and he chugged it right down. So they walked over to Friar Tucks from there, and people are kind of noticing that uh, Peter seems to be having trouble breathing. Everett doesn't think much of it, though, because it was a pretty snowy day, so there was a lot of trudging through the snow they had to do. Yeah, even in, in early April, sometimes it gets pretty snowy here. You never know how it is over here. It could be rainy, could be snowy, could be warm, could be cold. The two had been actually walking for quite a while. So, Peter Bukowski was known to be a major fan of the game Berserk. And that day, nobody's surprised, he went straight to the Berserk machine, and he played a couple of games of Berserk for about 15-20 minutes. He made the high score table, allegedly with two complete games. 
depending on what story you believe, he either decided, you know what, I want to play another game, or he started another game and didn't finish it. But whatever happened, he collapsed. And uh, one of the attendants over at Friar Tuck saw what happened and rushed over, uh, saw that he wasn't responsive, and started performing CPR on him. An ambulance arrived, took Peter to a hospital, I believe near Crown Point, Indiana, and sadly, Peter Bukowski was pronounced dead. And thus we have the first well-known case of someone dying while playing a video game. So there was an autopsy, and the autopsy revealed that uh, Peter's heart had a lot of scar tissue from it, and that scar tissue had been there for at least two weeks. So people were very quick to say, oh, it wasn't because of video games, it was because he had an existing condition. Well, Lake County, Indiana coroner Mark Allen had a theory. He said, well, yeah, his heart had some damage to it already, so he wasn't in good shape inside as it was. However, the stress from playing an intense video game might not have helped his heart at all. Now, there were some stories that say that Peter Bukowski was obese, but there's an interview with Tom Blankley, and of course I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, he owned Friar Tuck, and he was very familiar with Peter Bukowski. He was a frequent customer, and he said nothing could be further from the truth regarding Bukowski's physical shape. He says he was definitely in pretty good shape. He wasn't obese at all. That's the short version of the story. Um, the interview that I talked about that I'm going to link to the show notes comes from Kat Despera's blog. She has some fantastic uh, retro video game writing in there. I'll put a link to that's that. You absolutely have to go to that. Now, there's another story about another Berserk-related death. It involves a young man named Jeffrey Daly. He also allegedly died while playing Berserk, but it was in 1981, the previous year. Some stories say that Daly knew Peter Bukowski, and they also said that his death also happened at Friar Tucks. At least some stories do. And Daly's alleged score on Berserk before he died, 16,660. In other words, the three middle numbers were six. However, unlike the story of Peter Bukowski, which has plenty of substantiating evidence, there is no evidence whatsoever of a guy named Jeffrey Daly even existing who was playing Berserk and died while playing Berserk or after playing Berserk. And in fact, the stories that do exist are so full of holes. I was going to say so full of holes that it's basically Swiss cheese, but of course, those things in Swiss cheese are not called holes, they are called eyes, but... Anyway, there was one curious researcher, though, who was looking for some kind of verification that this Jeffrey Daly actually existed and found an obituary from 1981 or thereabouts for a Jeffrey Daly of that same age, around 1819. And this person actually invested. I don't remember if this person actually had to pay any kind of a fee or just register or what, but actually did find the obituary and read it. And this Jeffrey Daly died of a car accident, and I think it was in Virginia or West Virginia, and ergo was nowhere near a berserk machine at the time, unless that car accident happened to be near an arcade, then I guess it could have been. Uh, uh, let's not theorize about that right now. But what really surprised me, though, is that when I was doing research for this episode, I found a third story of a berserk death. And again, this is on the Cat Despira blog. And again, there's a link in the show notes to the article. 
And this story is about Edward Clark Jr. of Lansing, Illinois, which happens to be near Calumet City, Illinois. And yes, this is also involving Friar Tuck's game room. Except this happened almost six years later, March 20th, 1988. Now, Edward Clark Jr. had a reputation of being a troublemaker, always getting into trouble, causing problems, but he had just enlisted in the Army Reserves just a few days before this, and kind of in hopes of turning his life around. And when he got to Friar Tucks, he played a few games of Battlezone, and then he went over to Berserk, the same Berserk machine that Peter Bukowski played shortly before he died. Now, those of you who aren't aware, whether you're too young or just never really noticed, it was common arcade etiquette that if you wanted the next game, you would put your quarter or your token on the edge of the monitor screen. That's basically telling everybody, I got next game, so don't start up a new one when you're done. Clark had noticed that there were a couple of quarters on the Berserk screen, but there was nobody in the vicinity of the Berserk machine. So he took one of those quarters and he started a game. And a guy named Pedro Roberts, who he himself had a bad reputation, much worse than Edward Clark Jr.'s, he saw what happened and he ran over to uh, the Berserk machine and insisted that the quarter was his and that he wanted his money back. Long story short, all the details I'm chopping out pretty much, uh, the exchange between Pedro Roberts and Edward Clark Jr. got pretty heated. There are some conflicting stories as to what happened, uh, whether it was that uh, Edward Clark Jr. was accused of stealing uh, Pedro Roberts' girlfriend. Another story says that uh, one of uh, Clark's friends stepped in to protect him. Yet another one said that somebody pulled a knife, but uh, nobody can say 100% for sure what happened during that exchange. But eventually, when Edward Clark Jr. left Friar Tucks, he went over to the alley across the street, I guess that might have been where he parked, and he was jumped. And who jumped him? It was Pedro Roberts, and Pedro stabbed him with a knife. And so Edward Clark's like, you know what, This is, it's not a severe injury, I'll get over it. So he basically refused any help that anybody offered. Then he collapsed. So his friends basically jammed him into a car and rushed him over to a nearby hospital. But uh, shortly after they arrived, he was pronounced dead of a stab wound. Pedro Roberts was sentenced to 11 years in prison for murder, but he was actually eligible for parole after serving only three years because he had actually reached a plea deal with the court and the court had ruled that Pedro Roberts was actually acting in self-defense. Now, something interesting about Kat Despira's blog entry, she points out something that I never thought about before, but it's absolutely true. And it just kind of adds to the creepiness of the whole berserk death thing, if you will. Just to give you an idea how bizarre the Chicago area is, uh, Interstate 94 is an east-west highway. And in the Chicago area, to head um, what they call west on Interstate 94, you actually have to drive north. It's kind of bizarre. But anyway, as you're driving Interstate 94 west or north or whatever toward Calumet City, you're going to see two yellow water towers. And they have these big smiley faces, similar to those from the have a nice day smiley faces. And they bear a striking resemblance to evil Otto. What about frenzy? Well, frenzy might warrant an explanation for many listeners as it wasn't quite as common as berserk, especially because frenzy came out right around the time when Stern was kind of no longer really producing arcade video games. 
And that was May 1982. Frenzy also was programmed by Alan McNeil. And for all practical purposes, the gameplay is very similar to that of Berserk, but there are some differences. For one thing, the walls are no longer electrified. This means you're not going to die if you touch a wall. But unfortunately, it means that the robots also are not going to die if they touch the wall. And not only are the walls no longer electrified, but the robots are also no longer electrified. And yes, that means when two robots walk into each other, they will not disintegrate. And when you touch a robot, you will not die. And in fact, what you might find is that robots could theoretically gang up on you. It's happened to me on more than one occasion. And you have to be very careful when you shoot them away. There's that big cloud of shrapnel. And if you touch it, you die. A significant portion of the walls is made of dots that you can shoot away. So you can actually shoot a hole in a wall and walk right through it, including if you're trying to escape the room. The other walls are solid, and if you shoot those walls, your shots are actually going to ricochet, and actually robot shots are going to ricochet as well. And because shots are going to ricochet, that means that you can actually shoot yourself. In Berserk, the walls are blue, and in Frenzy, the walls are mainly red. Evil Otto is in the game too, except he's now called Crazy Otto. <laughs> I'll get into that uh, in a different episode, by the way, that whole Crazy Otto thing. And when you see Crazy Otto appear, you're going to hear a voice saying, Robot attack. Crazy Otto can be destroyed, kinda. If you shoot Crazy Otto, his smile turns into kind of a neutral expression, and if you shoot him again, his expression turns into a frown. And if you shoot Otto a third time, he stops and fades away. But then he regenerates back at the starting point and then chases you much faster. Every time you do destroy Crazy Otto, he is going to come to you faster and faster and faster each time, and you'll hear a voice say, And now there are two different types of robots. Now, I didn't find any official documentation that notes any significant differences between the two. They have the same functionality, same behaviors as any other robots, including in Berserk. Uh, the only difference seems to be physical appearance. Uh, one of the robots looks kind of like a robot, um, different from what the robots look like in Berserk, but they're definitely robots. And the other robots look like skeletons. And those robots that look like skeletons, they're kind of hard to shoot if you're shooting up or down because they have narrow body frames. You have to be quite precise with those shots or shoot them from the left or right or diagonally. There were some features that Alan McNeil wanted to include in Berserk, but for whatever reason, he didn't include whether he didn't have time, whether he didn't have the proper space, whatever. But a lot of those features are in Frenzy. Among those features are four special rooms, and these rooms happen every fourth room you enter. And they're usually referred to by their distinguishing feature because there's in order. There's the big auto room, there's the power plant room, the central computer room, and the robot factory room. And the big auto room is so called because right in the middle of that room, there's a giant statue of Crazy Otto. And when you first enter the room, his eyes are closed and he has a neutral expression. When Crazy Otto actually does appear from uh, the entrance from where you entered and starts chasing after you, and if you happen to kill Crazy Otto, as it were, that is temporarily, obviously, then Big Otto's expression kind of turns pretty mad, and he has red glowing eyes. Oh, and by the way, also if you kill Crazy Otto, 
then Big Auto is going to generate four new crazy autos and they're all going to start running after you. If you happen to die when you're on the Big Auto screen, Big Auto is going to smile. And uh, by the way, when you first enter the Big Auto room, you're going to hear a voice that says, The humanoid must not destroy the robot. The power plant room obviously has a power plant in the middle of it, and it's apparent that the power plant is basically responsible for giving the robots their ability to move, because if you shoot the power plant, the robots are going to stop moving. The central computer room has a computer in the middle of it, duh. The computer appears to give the robots their intelligence, because if you shoot the computer, the robots aren't going to be able to find you. They don't know where you are. You're going to hear a voice that says, Where is the humanoid? And then the robots start moving and shooting just kind of erratically, kind of random. And then there's the robot factory room, which has, say it with me now, a robot factory in the middle of it. The robot factory's job is, obviously, to make new robots. You can shoot the factory all you want. Nothing's going to happen as a result, unfortunately. The factory is going to produce new robots periodically, and every time there's a new robot on the screen, you're going to hear a voice kind of mocking you. It's going to say, A robot must get the humanoid. Or, A robot is not a human. The point scoring rules in Berserk also apply to Frenzy. You get 50 points per robot destroyed and 10 points per robot as a bonus if all the robots are destroyed. And there are some additional ways you can get more points as well. Talked before about how some of the walls are destructible. They're made of dots so you can shoot away. Well, every time a dot is shot out, whether you shoot it or a robot shoots it, you get a point. Every time you shoot Crazy Otto, whether or not your shot actually destroys Otto, you get 20 points. Now, Frenzy wasn't made for many home systems. There was a version made for ColecoVision, and therefore also the Coleco Atom computer, and CBS made that version. There was also a version made for the ZX Spectrum, or if you're from any country that is not the United States, the ZX Spectrum. And if you do a search online for Frenzy home conversions, you might see a 1984 computer game called Frenzy, but no, that is not the Berserk sequel. It is a completely different game. The Atari 7800 version of Frenzy was programmed by Bob DeCrescenzo, a.k.a. Pac-Man Plus, and Matthias Lutke, and they had some assistance from Alan McNeil himself. According to Bob, Alan was happy to see that Frenzy was finally coming to an Atari console. The cartridge, which at the time of this recording is available at the Atari Age store, comes with a six-page full-color manual, that is if you don't count the front and back cover, of course, and for an additional charge you can get a box made in the same style of Atari's original game boxes from back in that uh, thing that Ferg, uh, Ferg didn't like people saying before, but he's okay with now. Um... The artwork on the box and the cartridge label is based on the artwork from CBS's ColecoVision port of Frenzy. And speaking of the cartridge label, it is a complete custom job. Doesn't resemble the Atari 7800's classic silver label ports at all. Basically, it's the box art, really. And the end label is the Frenzy logo. And the spine of the box not only has the Frenzy logo, but it also has... On the top of the spine, it says, for the Atari 7800, and then beneath that is a picture of Big Otto with his eyes closed and no expression on his face, and at the bottom is the Atari Age logo. When you turn on your 7800 with Frenzy inserted, 
you get the Atari boot screen as usual, and then you hear a short tune, which you heard earlier in this podcast. And many video game enthusiasts will recognize the music as the opening music from the Vectrex version of Berserk, which quite frankly blew my mind when I first played the 7800 Frenzy. I was totally not expecting that. I was like, whoa! Next thing you're going to see is a menu operated by joystick, and that's going to let you choose either Berserk or Frenzy and the number of players. There is a single-player mode, and there's also a two-player competitive mode and a two-player cooperative mode. And when you play competitive mode, you actually get 80 points for shooting your opponent. The Berserk game that's included in the cartridge is based on the Fast Bullets variation. There's no Slow Bullets version. And yes, the voice synthesis that made the arcade versions of Berserk and Frenzy, the legends that they are, it's also in the 7800 version. You don't need the Atari Vox for it, and the voice synthesis is not done with a pokey chip. It is 100% Atari 2600 Tia chip sound. So, that's right, the Atari 2600 chip is actually responsible for all the sounds in the game. And uh, that just goes to show you that despite all the heat that's that the Atari 7800 games get for using what people consider subpar sounds... Frenzy and Berserk on the 7800 are proof that if you are a good enough programmer, you can get some pretty freaking great sound out of that little chip. And in fact, when I was researching this episode, I found a video of an Atari 7800 playing Soft Cell's Tainted Love, a digital recording of it only from the built-in sound. And uh, I'll put a link to that video in the show notes at homebrew78.fab4it.com. And speaking of voice synthesis, just as with the 5200 version of Berserk, the 7800 version doesn't have all the speech that is in the arcade game because, once again, when the speech happens, the gameplay comes to a temporary freeze. So to keep that freezing to a minimum, the game only includes the most essential speech, such as when Otto appears, when your character loses a life, or when you escape from a room and some other certain occasions here and there. And speaking of Atari Vox, even though the Atari Vox isn't necessary for voice synthesis, the Atari Vox is useful in that the high score feature is enabled in the game. So if you have an Atari Vox, or if you are listening to this podcast shortly after I'm recording it, if you have one of the development versions of the XM, or if you're listening to this much, much, much later, if you have the XM, or if you have a high score key, remember those things that were available for a short time back in around 2006, you just stick it in the right controller port, the cartridge will use one of those devices to save high scores. While I'm on the topic of that high score unit, might as well talk about high scores. Well, the highest scores that I could find for the Atari 7800 Frenzy were achieved actually via emulation, on the Atari 7800 High Score Club from August of 2014, Oyama family won that challenge with a frenzy score of 13,310 on the default settings. That's kind of weird. I was expecting Oyama family to score a heck of a lot more than that, but it just shows you that frenzy and really berserk too are not always the biggest high-end scoring games in the world. Of course, if you look at arcade scores, there are people who get pretty outrageous with those games. 
um, Slaytanic won the bonus competition of that high score club competition with a berserk score of 6,600, and that is also on the default settings. There should be some discussion of how the Atari 7800 version of Frenzy and, of course, Berserk came about. Bob DiCrescenzo, a.k.a. Pac-Man Plus on Atari Age, started working on Frenzy somewhere around January 2010, from what I gather, possibly even sooner. At least, this is the earliest clue I could find. What happened was Bob posted a blog entry asking for help with collision detection issues he had been having in the early stages of development. Bob was using only the arcade version of Frenzy as his paradigm because he never saw the ColecoVision version. He already recognized that all the walls in the room had to be the same color due to the graphics mode that he was using. And at this point, there was no speech in the game, and Bob was planning to reach out to the person who added speech synthesis to the 2600 version for some assistance. After a while, though, the collision detection issues were too problematic, so Bob announced he was canceling Frenzy in August 2011, saying, you know what, Spiceware is working on a version for the Atari 2600 that'll be better than what I could possibly do for the 7800, and also I want to work on some other 7800 games. Well, it didn't take long for people to convince him to not give up, so he announced, you know what, I'm not going to cancel after all. Let's skip ahead to June 2013. That was the beginning of a very busy summer in the development of Frenzy. Bob restarted it and Berserk from scratch after he did some searching and found a proper algorithm for drawing mazes. There were some challenges due to the limitations of the 7800 versus, say, the arcade versions, however, such as the speed at which the humanoid flashes upon dying. He had to make a little bit slower on the 7800 to save some memory and speed. And that the arcade version used hardware for collision detection, while the collision detection on the 7800 would have to be done with software. And um, if you don't quite understand what that means, all you need to know is that doing something through hardware is usually much faster than doing it through software. Another challenge he was facing was how to handle two-player cooperative mode. How do you end the level? Well, he decided that the level would end whenever the first humanoid left the room, and the next room would be determined by that player. Also in two-player competitive mode, and Bob decided that in the two-player modes, both competitive and cooperative, the game does not end until both players run out of lives. Basically, if you lose your last life and your opponent still has a life, you're still going to regenerate. On June 26, 2013, Bob posted that original Berserk and Frenzy programmer Alan McNeil had been helping him. Bob wasn't sure if he should reveal that, but upon asking Alan, Alan told him, and I quote, You can mention me. We are trying to finally get a real version of Frenzy on Atari. About two weeks later, Bob credited Schmutzpuppe, a.k.a. Matthias Lutke, assuming I am pronouncing that correctly. If not, then I apologize for both times I mispronounced Schmutzpuppe's name, and I mentioned him on the prior episode as well. Schmutzpuppe helped him with the voice synthesis. Bob posted an in-progress version of the Berserk portion of the game with the voice samples included, much to the seemingly orgasmic delight of many Atari Age visitors. 
On July 10th, Bob posted the first public work-in-progress version of Frenzy for the 7800. Frenzy still had a lot of work that needed to be done, including collision detection improvement, sound, Crazy Auto had yet to appear, and he planned to add high scorecard functionality, so that wasn't in there yet either. Now, a month to the day of that Frenzy release, this is August 10th, Bob posted an updated version. This time, the robot's shooting ability improved, Crazy Auto was in now, preliminary versions of the animations in the special rooms, the power plant, Big Auto, etc., those were now in the game, and there were some other small changes. On August 18th, there was yet another work-in-progress version of Frenzy, and this time it had sound except for the voice. Three days later, August 21, there was another work-in-progress release, and this time there were bonus lives, there were some bug fixes for the way that Otto was animated, there was a uh, fix for a problem they were having in two-player mode that would cause a player to die from the other player's ghost if the other player died, and there was high scorecard support now added. There were a couple of more releases on September 1st and September 4th, edging seemingly asymptotically closer to a release candidate. On Friday, September 6th, there was a message posted by a new user going under the handle A9K, who wrote, and I quote, Hi, I'm the Alan McNeil that designed the games. Bob contacted me quite a while back when just starting the project. I'm advising and suggesting changes to this project. Glad to see my old games finally make it onto an Atari in a decent version. This is fun for me because it's a lot less work suggesting a change than coding it. Glad to see a few players out there still want to play the classics. As of this recording, that was the only time Alan ever posted on Atari Age. That same day, Bob posted a rough version of the manual with a corrected version posted the following day when Albert, who is the owner of Atari Age, announced that a box version of Frenzy would be available at that year's Portland Retro Gaming Expo and then later via the Atari Age store. And by the way, those of you who don't know, the Portland Retro Gaming Expo is a pretty freaking major expo. That's usually when all the big Atari Age things happen. That's one of the big video game shows in the country. A revised version of the manual was posted on September 13th, and then the first released candidate was posted on the 23rd, but with a very strong indication that it was not going to be the released version because Bob was waiting for some finishing touches on the voices from, uh, from Matthias, from Schmutzpuppe, uh, which kind of makes me wonder, why would that be the release considered a release candidate at that point? But I don't know. I don't know how these things work. <laughs> I mean, yes, I do software development for a living, but we do things a little bit differently, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, uh, September 27th, there was another release candidate, RC2, which at this point was considered the final version, assuming there were no fixes that needed to be done. Well, guess what? There were a few bugs that were found, and they were fixed soon enough that release candidate 3 actually was posted the same day. There were two more release candidates that appeared on the 28th and the 29th, the latter being the same day that Bob started taking pre-orders for those who just wanted the loose copy of the cartridge instead of a complete in-box version. The cost for the loose carts would be $25 plus shipping. And Bob said, 
that two of the cartridges would actually be made from shells of old Coleco cartridges because the original home console version of Frenzy was a Coleco release. He had a disclaimer that Coleco cartridges tend to get extremely dirty over the years, so he had a really hard time cleaning the cartridges, but he did it to the best of his ability. Frenzy was made available for Atari Age subscribers on October 15th, 2013, shortly after the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, and then the general release was October 28th, 2013. As usual, I posted on Atari Age and asked for feedback about the 7800 version of Frenzy. Toilet Tunes says, I played Berserk a few times in the arcade. I didn't last long, but the voice was amazing. I played it on the 2600 a lot, but lost interest after the robot difficulty rolls over. I never knew Frenzy until the Coleco flashback. It is a highlight of the system. Then I hunted down a copy for the ColecoVision. It felt weird compared to the flashback. The sounds are different or something. Now, for the 7800, I played it on Concerto, and it moved to the top of my must-buy list. Having both games on one cart is also a plus, although I play Frenzy about 90% more than Berserk. Basically, if you like running around a maze and shooting robots, it doesn't get any better. Thank you, Toilet Tunes. Thank you for that. And yeah, I also don't... I, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, I am not good at, well, either of these games. Um, I played the 2600 version a lot. My next-door neighbor had... I mentioned my next-door neighbor before about how he had a small collection of 2600 games, and I had a small collection, but our collections didn't have much overlap, so we'd uh, swap games a lot, and Berserk was one of them. And I played it a lot. I mean... Yeah, it's really the voice does make a huge difference, but it's still a fun game without it. Oh, and by the way, those of you who are fans of the 2600 version, if you don't know about this already, there are a couple of uh, interesting rollover bugs in that version of the game. You might want to uh, research. It's quite fascinating and annoying at the same time. You mentioned about how the ColecoVision, the real ColecoVision version of Frenzy feels different from the flashback version. And that is a reason I'm not really a fan of these flashback things. I never, ever, ever, the only flashback that I ever sought out was the Atari 2600 handheld. I got that for Christmas and I do love that thing. But a reason I'm not a big fan of those is because sometimes they're either not emulated properly or the games are just not correct like for example the atari flashback portable the handheld um, the version of frogger on that is not the parker brothers version and it is not the supercharger version it it's almost basically really the arcade version it has the same graphics and sound it's just a kind of a it's kind of a watered down version of the arcade version really and i don't like that they do that stuff so so I'm I'm wondering if maybe the same case, same thing is the case for the ColecoVision flashback. If maybe they have a slightly better version of Frenzy on that thing, and oh, you have a concerto. Oh, I hate you right now, Toilet Tunes. <laughs> oh man, but uh, yeah, some people are lucky enough to have development versions of concerto that are in various stages of uh, uh, compatibility, but. Uh, but uh, thanks again, Toilet Tunes. And let's move on to Jinx, who says, This is a great game. With two-in-one plus having voice, the gameplay is solid and is a great deal. I bought the cart the moment it was released. I play this from time to time. Mostly Frenzy. A Doctor Who hack like the 2600 has would be really cool. 
I bought I bought Frenzy pretty much the second it was released too, and I had to go back later and order the box for it because I, I I'm one of those people who needs to have the cartridges complete in box. Uh, I don't remember if I mentioned this. I don't remember if I mentioned this in the podcast before, but. The reason for that is uh, when I had my Atari 2600 as a little kid, you know, I didn't really care much for the boxes. I just basically played the cartridges, and the cartridges themselves were bare, and they sat in a shoebox along with the manuals, and the boxes were either tossed or lost. And then my cousins, when they got their Intellivision, they got their Intellivision and a whole buttload of games for it, and the, bu- and the games were all in the box, and th- they were placed really nicely on a bookshelf, and I was like, oh man, those that looks so sweet. So I need to have the cartridges organized somehow, not in a shoebox, so I'm very complete in box. So when the box came available for this game, I... I private messaged Albert on Atari Age, and I said, can I get the box just by itself? I already have the cartridge. So he sent me the box, and you know, I paid uh, the, the whatever amount of money it costs. I don't remember off the top of my head. But I'm going to have to put a link in the show notes to that Doctor Who hack of uh, – to that 2600 Doctor Who hack that you uh, mentioned. Uh, thank you, Jinx. And going on to S. Ramirez, 2008. Frenzy is yet another amazing port by Bob DiCrescenzo. The gameplay is pretty solid, really like the head-to-head and co-op options. The speech sounds great, and you get Berserk as a bonus. Eat your heart out, Zonox double-ender carts. <laughs> as for the arcade, I remember the first time I heard Berserk. I was 13, and the game suckered me in when I heard it say Coin Detected in Pocket. This quickly became one of my favorite arcade games due to all the in-game speech, sound effects, shooting electrocution, and robots that reminded me of the Cylons. Ah, the good times. Smiley face. I, I've yet to play either of those two-player versions, mainly because uh, um, I'm one person and my wife doesn't do video games, <laughs> and uh, I haven't had a heck of a lot of opportunity to be in a social situation with 7800. Recently, I, I mentioned last podcast that... Uh, that friend of the show, Keith Sheehan, had an Atari party. That, and he had a 7800 present. We just didn't play Frenzy or Berserk on that. But uh, I really need to try that because really, two-player cooperative and head-to-head video games are a lot of fun. So I commend Bob big time for that. And yeah, double undercards, I that is one thing. I, I hate those things because you can't really store them anywhere. And good luck finding them in the box. Thanks, S. Ramirez, 2008. Trevor says, first time I played Berserk was at the local pizzeria in my neighborhood. I think I recall seeing a frenzy cab once at the Nathan's, close to where I live at the time, but never played on an actual arcade cabinet. People talking about pizzerias, Nathan's, I'm guessing you live somewhere in the New York metro area or the Philly metro area. (laughs) But anyway... Trevor goes on to say, my first experience with Frenzy was on the ColecoVision emulator Colem dos during the mid-90s. It was missing from my original cartridge collection in the 80s. Throughout the years, though, I have racked up some considerable game time via MAME for the arcade game and Atari Max cart on my ColecoVision, as well as through emulation for the console. I have had a good taste of the game Frenzy. The Atari 7800 port is quite excellent. The higher 320 resolution mode is utilized and the game really shines. 
all AI behavior was carefully ported over, including nuances of corner and ricochet shots. Interactive maze elements are present. Big Auto? Check. Central Computer? Check. Power Plant? Check. Robot Factory? Check. The various modes are wonderful, just like some of the 7800's well-handled retail arcade ports such as Joust and Centipede, meaning one and two players alternating modes, of course, are present. Additionally, the two-player cooperative and competitive is where it really gets interesting for the two-player modes. Frenzy under the 7800 in its own right goes above and beyond in being a fantastic port. However, we are only halfway through the greatness contained on the cartridge, as Berserk is present as well in all its glory, too. Although a simpler game than Frenzy, Berserk is my preferred choice between the two. Insert stronger nostalgic factor here. Berserk is playing second fiddle to no one, and the differences, as would be experienced in the arcade, are all present here as well. While walls are reflective or can be shot away under Frenzy, in Berserk, they are just deadly to the touch. There are different autos, too. Berserk's is just flat-out evil and indestructible, while Frenzy's is crazy and can be destroyed, but will rematerialize with a vengeance. So play with two players as a team, as enemies, or take the robots, slash skeletons, slash tanks, take them on solo, enjoy speech similar to their arcade counterparts, and enjoy having Frenzy, and Berserk, as an excellent addition to the 7800 library. Love, love, love that post, Trevor. Thanks, thanks so much for that. I think Trevor hits the nail right on the head right there. And 320 resolution mode, I know what that means, but I don't know how to explain it. Um, it's a little bit more technical for for what I know, but all I, I I'll put it to you this way: Bob DiCrescenzo has done versions of Pac-Man and Ms. Pac-Man. Sadly, they're not available on cart, at least not now, in which he used the actual game images. Like you, you look at it and you swear it is the arcade version. The only difference is uh, the maze doesn't fit on the screen. So it actually scrolls up and down. And it's, and I know it's because of the 320 resolution mode that he was able to do that. Um, the version of his Pac-Man stuff that currently exists on cartridge does not use that 320 resolution mode. And that's why it's not exactly arcade perfect in terms of graphics. Still fantastic, by the way. But thank you, Trevor. Thank you so much. And let's see what Save 2600 has to say. He says Berserk was a favorite growing up as we usually had the arcade game in rotation. Never got into or paid much attention to Frenzy BITD but am glad it exists now for the 7800. Still like Berserk better, with an asterisk, by the way, and not just for nostalgic reasons, but love having both on the same cartridge. I'd rate both as solid plus games at least, and represent definitive home versions to be sure. And let's see, um, Safe 2600 includes a footnote to go with that asterisk, um, prefer it's uh, talking about why he prefers Berserk. Prefer it's simpler gameplay, less cluttered playfield, cleaner graphics, style of enemies and how they're drawn and their behavior, electrified walls, and the iconic speech patterns. Overall, just prefer Berserk over Frenzy, but enjoy playing Frenzy once in a while for something different. All right, thanks, Save2600. Uh, 
Yeah, I never really paid much attention to Frenzy myself, mainly because I never saw it. I mean, I know I mentioned this before, but I was a little kid back when these games were new. I was like eight, nine years old, and I would only get to the arcade during our monthly trips to the mall 30 miles away, and I was only given a dollar. That's four tokens. And I don't remember ever seeing Frenzy at the Aladdin's Castle at the Lincoln Mall, though I'm sure they did have it at some point. I mean, that was a huge honk in arcade. They must have had it at some point. But yeah, I was I was really glad to see this on the 7800 myself. I mean, yeah, I now live, I, now as an adult, I can go out to several different arcades that I'm not too far from and play Frenzy, I, well, at least two arcades I know have it. Underground Retrocade has it. Um, Galloping Ghost has it in my area. So I can go there pretty much whenever I want, assuming I can use the car. My wife and I share one vehicle. But Oh, by the way, fun fact for you. I mentioned how Save 2600 put an asterisk in there and then put a footnote to go with it. There is a term for a asterisk that does not have a footnote, and that is called Asterixasper. Thank you, twenty six. Thank you, save twenty six hundred for not causing an asterisk. But let's move on to Gold Leader, who says, "I think it's safe to say that I am a Frenzy super fan. While I liked Berserk in the arcade, I really did. Along came Frenzy, and in my humble opinion, just blew it away. The best part of Berserk was that it plays like a plot from a sci-fi horror movie where nothing is safe." But when you first experience Frenzy, Berserk feels more like a game of tag on the schoolyard playground. Frenzy is the ultimate robot maze shooter. Now you are able to hide against maze walls like you always wanted to do in Berserk, but couldn't, as the Berserk walls were electrified. And with two technically more kinds of walls, you can now bank your shots, you can make your own entrances and exits, you can shoot through the walls, and you can employ strategy like never before. I do absolutely recommend buying all home versions of the game. Well, both games. While I like all home versions of Frenzy, they all feel sluggish compared to the actual arcade game. It often makes it seem that the home versions of Berserk are the superior game. I also do have a MAME version of Frenzy and a Bartop Multicade, but that is also not the same. I told my friend I thought maybe the computer powering the system was too slow, and he told me he thought maybe I had an earlier version of MAME. Although it is a subtle difference, once the game begins, the audio is delayed compared to the action on screen, and the brilliant death sound, kind of a crisp electrocution zap, is missing entirely. I assume this has been corrected in newer versions of MAME, but I don't know that for sure. I think I'll include a quick pick of my kitchen. Cheers. <laughs> and uh, let's see. Uh, Gold Leader has a picture of a frenzy cabinet complete with burn-in on the screen. Yeah, I can't say that I have a video game. Well, I could say that I have a uh, video game cabinet in my kitchen, but I'd be lying. <laughs> there, there was a there was a time there was a short time uh, when my wife and I had our first apartment. I actually kept my computer in the kitchen because there was we had a really tiny apartment then we now have a three bedroom but oh and i just now notice as i'm looking at uh at gold leader's frenzy cabinet that that also says stern seaberg on the uh the marquee so there you go remember what i said earlier 
And yeah, Gold Leader, I do think that the version of MAME you're using is a significant factor in that. Because I was just playing Frenzy in MAME literally yesterday from when I'm recording this. And all the sounds were there. They weren't delayed. It's either the the MAME or the hardware. Also, I know that some, uh, some ROMs in MAME require some additional files like uh, some additional BIOSes and stuff. I don't think Frenzy is one of those, but uh, might be something to look uh, look into. But uh, thanks, Gold Leader. And I, I want to put a picture of your kitchen in the show notes. And let's see. Oh, and we heard from Toilet Tunes again. I just watched some arcade gameplay videos, and just to play Devil's Advocate, I'll add this. The arcade has more frequent speech, and the speech has more variety. Obviously, I'm just nitpicking here, but for the sake of a more balanced review, I feel obligated to come up with something. And yeah, like I said before, that's that's by design because quite simply, if all of that speech was in there, that game, the game on the 7800 would be freezing very frequently. It'd be kind of annoying and detrimental to gameplay. So I kind of understand that. Uh, let's see, Inky, aka Jimmy G from Pie Factory Podcast, says. I only own three homebrews, and I'm proud to have this in my collection. The two games in this collection are almost arcade perfect, although since I pretty much suck at Frenzy, I can't verify the special rooms in the game. Given Bob DeCrescenzo's eye for quality, I'm guessing the special rooms in Frenzy work the way they're supposed to. It may just be my TV, but I do notice one difference with Frenzy on the 7800 versus the arcade. And it seems that the bits of the wall you can blast away are the same color as the reflecting walls. That's about the only difference I can see. Berserk, this is the best home version of the game, and that's not an easy task. Given the amazing 5200 official release and homebrew port to the Atari ST computers, this is a great addition to the 7800 homebrew library. Put this one near the top of your must-have list. And thank you, Inky. And I, th- I think that's the second reply on Atari Age. It actually uses the phrase must have. And I totally agree with it. Totally, absolutely agree. If you're only going to get, say, one homebrew, this might be one to consider. Um, although I think I have a better recommendation, uh, but uh, I'll get into that much later in uh, this ongoing podcast. And yeah, I noticed the same thing about the wall colors, and I I didn't really notice it right away until I played the 7800 version, and then I played it in MAME, and I was like, oh yeah, there's a slight difference right there. It's not just your TV, and also, on the in the Atari Age store, if you look at the screenshots, the screenshots also show that the walls in Frenzy are all the same color. So the the, uh, the, ric- the ricochet walls are the same color as the breakaway walls, if you will. And speaking of the port to the Atari ST computer, uh, yeah, I forgot to mention this, but uh, I'm sure that you can get some kind of port on any computer that was ever made since Berserk was in the arcade. Um, I remember on the Amiga, I had one or two. I think there was one called Berserker, and there was another one called Zerberk. And uh, I remember playing those, so yeah, that's definitely a thing. And uh, thank you there, Inky slash Jimmy G. And let's see, moving on, we have we have a reply from Average Software, who says, I think Frenzy was the first homebrew I bought for the 7800. I'm a huge fan of Berserk, 
I even wrote my own sequel for the PC a few years ago, and I have no complaints with 7800 Frenzy. Absolutely love it, and it probably gets more play than any of the other 7800 homebrews I've purchased. The inclusion of Berserk is a great bonus, but I prefer the 5200 version, so I rarely play it. Um, Average Software, I have a question for you. Um, where can we get this PC uh, sequel for Berserk? <laughs> please, please share it. Please share it. I want to put that in the show notes, and I'd like to try it. But yeah, thanks for your comment there, Average Software. Yeah, the 5200 version of Berserk, I think most people think is probably the definitive home version of it. If not the 7800 version of it, then the 5200 for sure. I've never played the 5200 version, and I think I actually owned it for the brief time I had a 5200. But um, I, I don't know. I've never actually played it. Thank you for that, Average Software. Tarzilla writes, I like the ColecoVision version of Frenzy. ColecoVision version, I, that's the first time I think I ever said that right. Uh, anyway, sorry, Tarzilla. Uh, I like the ColecoVision version of Frenzy, and other than the fact that the contrast between shootable walls and reflectable walls, reflective walls, sorry, could be more arcade faithful, and the explosions of the robots are too slow, I really like the 7800 versions. I'm not a fan of adding music to Frenzy, but neither port has music that annoys me, so I'm fine with it. I like the two-player co-op modes in the 7800 port as it adds extra play value. I don't want to seem overly picky or critical, but Frenzy was the first arcade game I could play forever on one quarter. Growing up in the country, that was a big deal since I couldn't just walk to the mall on the weekends. Many times, instead of taking the bus home after school, I would go to the pool hall in my small town and play for a few hours, sampling other games as they came in on rotation, but with my last two quarters, I would always play Frenzy. I would get into a zone and play for hours, lining up extra men all along the bottom, giving me time to intentionally try out stunts like to kill all the autos that came out of the center happy face when you linger too long. Then I would go home with my dad when his shift running the arena ended around 9 p.m. It stuck with me so much that in 1996, I bought one for $250 and still play it often. I've owned many different arcade machines over the years, but this one will stay. The joke is my wife will bury me in it instead of a casket. And uh, he posted a picture of uh, his frenzy cabinet, too, uh, along with pictures of the boxed 7800 frenzy, um, a boxed uh, berserk, what looks like the uh, voice-enhanced Atari 2600 hack, uh, the... Coleco Adam Frenzy and one of those uh, multilingual boxes for the Atari 2600 of Berserk. Thank you for your comment there, Tarzilla. And JFD62780 offers uh, kind of a little timeline slash commentary here. JFD62780 says, April 1992, while living in Long Island, I bought a four-switch Atari 2600 at a garage sale for a dollar. No joysticks, paddle, or RF box, but three loose carts. It broke a year later despite experimentation with a certain part from Radio Shack. April 1996. I bought a six-switch Atari 2600 with the works at another garage sale for my entire piggy bank, which was in the teens. Said Radio Shack purchase paid off as the part worked better than the RF switch. The six-switcher still works to this day. 
uh, doesn't say what the, what the uh, certain part from Radio Shack is, but I think it's one of those coax to RCA adapter things. Uh, oh, what the heck do you call those things where it's an RCA thing uh, and you plug in? What, what you, you guys know what I'm talking about. Anyway, April-ish 1997, since moving to Virginia Beach, went to a friend's house who happened to still have a 2600 library, decided to borrow Berserk without an instruction manual, Blockbusters wouldn't even sneeze at the 2600, it was so old. That turned into a well-spent weekend. Fast forward to the 2000s. While in my emulation phase, I learned that Berserk was actually an arcade game. So I emulated it in MAME, discovering that the game had speech, and there was an evil auto. Still played it, to this day, when the speech was emulated just about flawlessly. Finally, in the 2010s, while lurking in the Atari Age forums with an interest in the 7800, despite never having owned the console, I noted our hero Pac-Man Plus, a.k.a. Bob DeCrescenzo, was making a port of its sequel Frenzy, which included Berserk, since the two games were that similar. Bob even got Alan McNeil, the original developer, to help out. If you're listening, Bobby, please forgive me for not purchasing a cart as I don't even have a 7800. My review, the only thing gimping the release is the 7800's TIA audio system, unchanged from the 2600 days. Is it gimping or jimping? I don't know. Sure, it can play digital audio. Doesn't mean it should. And if you heard digital audio on the Sega Genesis on a slightly related note, you'd see why. The more the 7800 had to do the more garbled the speech becomes, so Bob had to freeze the console completely for intelligible audio. Other than that, limited sound effects aside, you can barely tell the 7800 apart from the arcade. Thanks, Bob and Alan. And thank you, JFD62780. And I know I mentioned this earlier, but I have to mention it again. The 5200 version also has to stop in order to play back the voice synthesis and that uses the pokey. So I don't know if that would have even made a difference. The only thing that anybody that I think would have been able to make the difference was if they used the Atari Vox for the voice, which of course meant that if you don't have an Atari Vox, you don't hear the voice, but uh, thank you for your feedback there. JFD six, two, seven, eight, zero. Oh, and uh, Pac-Man Plus, a.k.a. Bob DeCrescenzo, chimed in and added a few things here. He says, um, a few things. The less frequent speech was due to having to stop the game in order to have any kind of legible speech. The more things you do while trying to play a sample, the more it sounds like garbage. And there is a lot going on while playing. It would also be very annoying to stop every few seconds while a sample is being played. Two, the reflective walls are the same color as the shootable walls. That was just something I had to do here. Three, there is also one other thing I didn't include. There is a point in Frenzy where the color of even the shootable walls is white. On this level, all the walls are reflective. This causes every shot to ricochet all over the place, making the level almost impossible. I didn't make the shootable walls reflective here on that level. All in all, this game was a tough one. For those who remember, I had actually started it a few years ago and put it aside because I couldn't get it working correctly. It was only when I had an idea for something, I forgot what it was now, that made me able to come back and finish it. 
Also, I must say, Alan McNeil was very kind and cooperative, answering my questions and giving me advice on how to accomplish certain things when doing this port. It was very cool having the original arcade author help with a port. I can, oh my God, I can imagine that. Uh, yeah, thank you for chiming in on that, uh, Bob. Uh, if you're listening, if you're not listening, then I don't thank you for, no, just kidding, Bob. <laughs> But, uh, great seeing some uh, some input there from uh, the developer of the 7800 Berserk. And let's see, going to Atari.io, Rick R. offers his thoughts as such. Frenzy is the arcade sequel to the stern classic Berserk. For whatever reason, it wasn't as popular as Berserk, probably too similar to the original, but it was a great game with sweet new features like different robots, bounce shots, and walls that you could shoot out. Pros. It has speech without need of a pokey chip. Sounds great. Very faithful to the arcade version of Frenzy. Includes Berserk, two games in one cart. Two-player modes, co-op and competitive. Very cool. Very challenging. I like that a lot as it makes you want to try one more time to beat your last score. Cons. Slowdowns when there are a lot of objects on the screen. It's a great game, and one that isn't really available for other systems. The ColecoVision has an awesome version of Frenzy, and it's actually even better than this one. Although the ColecoVision version doesn't also have speech, or Berserk, or the co-op two-player modes, I still find the ColecoVision version to be more fun. There aren't slowdowns like in this version, and there are added fun screen designs not in the arcade version. Also, the ColecoVision version is more colorful. I rate the 7800 version 4 out of 5 stars. A lot of fun. And uh, Rick R. attached a picture of his 7800 playing Frenzy and a NES controller. Hmm. Rick R., you got to tell us about that, bud. <laughs> there are lots of people who want to use different controllers. More info, please. But yeah, one thing I want to address here, I didn't really address yet. So thanks for bringing it up, Rick R., and that is the slowdown. And yeah, he's absolutely right. When there are a lot of things on the screen, the game moves slower. And I will be honest with you, it is excruciatingly annoying in the first level of Frenzy because a lot of times you get so many robots on the screen that things really slow down. You shoot a robot and that cloud of shrapnel takes a long time to go away. So you got to be careful how you move away from that shrapnel cloud and make sure you don't walk into it while it's still fading away. So you got to be careful there. Yeah, that is that is uh, probably my only complaint about this game personally. But yeah, I really, really, the more I hear about ColecoVision stuff, the more I almost want to get one. Thing is, I don't want another console in the apartment. I have the 7800, and I have an Atari 600 XL that I have laying around here, and that's it. I am The only other console I might be considering is uh, if I see a good-priced Sears Telegames Video Arcade Heavy Sixer, because I love how those things look, and also be a nice... Uh, game to a, a nice backup system to have and maybe if i see a 7800 going for cheap i'll get another one as a backup in case the one i have goes south but yeah i don't think i want to get i oh man i'm so conflicted do i want a ColecoVision? do i not i don't know <laughs> but ricard thanks so much for your comment and trek md says here is another great homebrew title by bob de crescenzo and a perfect adaptation of not one but two arcade classics, and with a spin in true 7800 fashion. 
As with Asteroids, these games offer more than just the one and two player alternating modes. Here we also have two player cooperative and competitive modes that make the games even more fun to play with friends. Why wait taking turns when you can compete at the same time or team up against the enemies? The games both capture the gameplay of the arcade superbly. The sound effects are also very faithful and there's even voice. So what else can I say other than chicken fight like a robot? Another must have for any 7800 owner. Thank you, Trek MD. That seems to be really the universal thought on those who've played the 7800 Frenzy slash Berserk. It is a must-have. And indeed, if you go to the Atari Age store, and uh, which I'm doing right now as I speak, actually, and if you go to the 7800 link, on the left you have the best sellers, and Frenzy is always within there. Thank you again, TrekMD. So, friends, um, I guess that is episode four, Frenzy Berserk, for the Atari 7800. I really enjoy doing this podcast, and this episode was especially enjoyable to put together because I really did learn a lot. Like, I didn't realize this, but there is a term for that little trick I talked about before where a bullet passes right between that gap between your head and your torso. Well, actually, there are several terms, usually involving the word necktie, like invincible necktie, for example. It's like, that's interesting. I guess uh, your stick figure wears a necktie. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know about you folks, but if I'm running around a room being shot at by robots and being attacked by this crazy bouncing smiley face, I'm going to take off my freaking tie. But this truly was a fun episode to uh, to talk about. And I, some feedback that I did get, by the way, about uh, episode three was that it was nice to see a video of the gameplay in action. And um, I have not, as of this recording at least, on uh, February 10th, which is the day before this is coming out, I have not captured any video of Frenzy gameplay. But uh, you can absolutely see some of it on YouTube. At least a couple of other people have posted on YouTube. I think Bob himself, uh, Trevor, I think, posted Atari 7800 Frenzy gameplay on YouTube. So go ahead and check it out. But I will try to post some video gameplay on YouTube from now on. And by the way, the YouTube channel, believe it or not, is called Homebrew78. Shocking, I know. For episode five, I'm going to be talking about Dungeon Stalker. And for episode six, by request, going to talk about Junior Pac-Man, another Bob DeCrescenzo title. And a little sneak preview, I have put out a request for feedback for Super Pac-Man, which is potentially scheduled for the second weekend of April. And there's a reason I'm asking for feedback on that so far in advance. I'm not going to get into the details right now because I still have to iron out all the details if there are any details to iron out. But you can send your feedback via email to homebrew78 at fab4it.com. That's F-A-B, and then the number four, and then IT.com. You can comment on the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast Facebook page. You can comment on the threads that are on Atari Age and Atari.io. You can tweet me at Homebrew78. And by the way, your comments can be either the text kind or audio comments. I will accept Wave, Flack, MP3, whatever you have. Don't be shy. You want to... 
just talk your thoughts instead of typing them, that is a wonderful welcome. Because, hey, I love hearing myself talk, but I also love hearing other people talk. And if you wish to support this podcast financially, you can go to patreon.com slash homebrew78. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash homebrew78. And once again, next episode, I'll be talking about Dungeon Stalker for the Atari 7800. Thank you all for listening, and please give these hardworking homebrew developers the support they deserve. <laughs>